Morning, Grace. I need to be honest with you. I am tired. Uh, and I would imagine that you can understand um, that sense of tiredness. Because I'm not just talking about a, a sense of tiredness where I'm not getting enough sleep. That is true, too. But I'm, I, what I mean is, is this sense of, of being at capacity. Uh, that you don't have any more to, um, to give either emotionally, intellectually, uh, and, and it feels as if you're, you're running out. Uh, and, and that's where I, honestly, that's where I find myself uh, today. Uh, well, I think I find myself there most days. Um, and, and yet in that sense of not enoughness or in that sense of lack, um, in that sense of weakness, I do trust and believe that God meets us in that. And that certainly has been my prayer for this space and my prayer for you, my prayer for us as we receive uh, God's word this morning, because I have good news to share. Uh, and and I, I've been praying that God would, would meet us in the good news, that it wouldn't just be something that we hear um, and, and as if we've heard it so many times before, but it would, be, it would be something that we hear as if for the first time or perhaps um, in, in a different way. And it grabs hold of our hearts and our imaginations because the news um, that, we, that we have to receive from God's word this morning um, is, is the best news. Um, and so because that's true, and because I think it takes the Spirit of God to um, help us to be prepared and able and willing to receive uh, what God has to say, um, I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray with you, um, for you, and, and for me that God would speak. So let's pray together. God, you are the one who meets us in our weakness, and sometimes I can be a person who says that, who believes that that's true, and yet don't often find myself in, in a place where that's necessary. But I feel like that's necessary today. Uh, I feel like it's necessary in, in our church, in our, in our world, um, in our city. Uh, we feel at capacity, we feel weak, we feel like we don't have any more. Uh, and, and we need you to meet us in that lack uh, so that you can be made strong, so that you can be glorified. And so I pray that that would be the case this morning. Um, I pray that you, in your word, as you speak to us, uh, that you would form and fashion our hearts um, in such a way that they are open and receptive. And God, I pray that your words uh, of, of belonging, your words of welcome, your words of grace and mercy would be something that, that galvanizes us, that inspires us, that, that burns within us. Uh, in, in a way that is fresh, and in a way that propels us to be people whose lives bear witness to your incredible, gracious, and abundant welcome and hospitality. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in the middle of a series in which we've called Making Room, uh, and we, we are exploring the theme of hospitality, of what does it look like to live into the gracious, abundant, and faithful welcome of God. What does it look like for us to be people who bear witness in the world 
to that welcome, to the welcome that God has for us in our welcoming, in our openness to the stranger. Because what we are wanting to have happen is for the Spirit of God to be at work in us, forming us, shaping us, so that in our minds and in our hearts we are making space for the stranger, for the other, for the poor, for the oppressed, for the orphan, for the widow, uh, for even friends and family to whom we feel estranged. This idea of being people whose lives are open and are welcoming and including of those who are the strangers. And so we've looked at how the hospitality is deeply connected to the heart of God. We, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are wanting to be people marked by hospitality because God himself is a God of welcome. It is something God cares about. This was a marker of the early church and for Christians throughout history that we, as followers of Jesus, are following Christ into this incredible, radical um, posture of welcome and hospitality. Last week, we saw how God is one who is both host and guest. That God is not only a host in which he has is, he is welcomed us and invited us, but he has also shown us, particularly in Christ, how to be a guest. What does it mean to be the stranger? And I suggested that, that is something that we, I think, are being called to learn and to understand, is what it looks like, what it means to be a stranger, what it looks like to be people who, like God in Jesus, are vulnerable and open and willing to put ourselves in, in the place or in the places and spaces where others are hosts to us. And I want to explore that idea of, of being a stranger a little more this week, because it's really out of this sense of being a stranger, out of our strangeness, or at least being aware of our strangeness and our being a stranger, that we are called to welcome the stranger and the other. The Bible does this all throughout Scripture, in particular in the Old Testament, we see all the time uh, where God is, is reminding Israel of who they were in order that they might be a different type of people. Just some examples, Exodus 22 21 through 23. You shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall not abuse any widow or orphan. If you do abuse them, when they cry out to me, I will surely heed their cry. Deuteronomy 10, 19. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19, verses 33 through 34. When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God and his, his wanting to form a people and to give them the way of being their people in the world, he is, he is telling them how to love and care for and make space and make room for the stranger. And the reason the people of Israel are to do that is because they themselves were strangers once in Egypt. So because of their at one time being strange, being an alien, being a foreigner, they are then called as God's people to welcome the stranger, the foreigner, the alien, to take care of the widow and the orphan. 
And in the New Testament, it does the same exact thing. When the New Testament is wanting to, to tell us to be a certain way or to do something, the writers, the authors are always trying to remind us of who we were and who we are now in Christ. And so this morning, as we look at the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, we are going to be looking at the way in which Paul reminds us, reminds the people to whom he is writing who they were and who they are now and then what difference it makes. And if you get nothing else, nothing else from this morning, this is what I want you to take away. We were all strangers and God has brought us home in Jesus Christ. We were all strangers and God has brought us home in Jesus Christ. He has brought us home both to God and to one another because in Christ, God has changed everything. In Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Paul is wanting to remind the church of what is true about who they are. And so we're going to use Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22 as our guide. And again, we are going to talk about who we were, who we are now, and the difference it makes. And just if you need a little refresher, I know we talked about the book of Ephesians about a year and a half ago, uh, and it might seem like, for some it might seem like it was yesterday, for others you might just be saying, oh, we talked about the book of Ephesians. Wherever you find yourselves, you might need a little bit of a refresher. And so the context of Ephesians is this. Ephesus was this large port city in Asia Minor, which means it was, it was quite diverse in a number of ways. It was ethnically diverse. It was religiously diverse. There was a pagan temple, but there was also a community of, of Jewish uh, Christians in Ephesus. And so it created this context in which there was a lot of diversity in, in the place and in worship. And Paul is wanting to write to the churches in Ephesus. And one of the unique things about the book of Ephesians is that it's not addressing a particular problem. Often the books, the epistles, the letters that Paul is writing are to specific churches to address specific problems. But this is different in that Paul is almost wanting to remind um, the church in Ephesus of, of who it is and what it's called to do. And this is a really beautiful reminder to us of what is true about us as a church, about us as God's people. And so this letter was, was given to churches in Ephesus. And, I, and the, the theory is that it was actually um, to be uh, transferred or to be uh, given to the different churches over time so that this church in Ephesus would be reminded of its identity and of what's true about them in Jesus. And so think of this letter as like a manifesto of the church, of, of what God has actually done in Jesus. And in this particular chapter in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul is addressing Gentile Christians and he is reminding them of, the, of who they are, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, and what has God done to bring them together and what is true about their identity in Jesus. And he begins this way in Ephesians 2, 11. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember, he says again, that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
So Paul begins here and he says twice to remember. Remember who you were. Remember who you were. And that idea of remembering is so central to what it means to follow Christ and what it means to actually recognize and understand what has taken place in the person of Jesus Christ, what God has done. And so here's the list of what Paul is going to say that we are called to remember of what was true about us Gentiles without Jesus. And here's what's fascinating about Ephesians 2, read in the context of hospitality, read in the context of making room and of welcome, is the language, the language of home and the language of of being far off and being near of being rejected but included. I mean, there's this, there's so much like homemaking language in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 that makes it so wonderful to consider in light of what it means to be a person who welcomes the stranger. So the list is this. So remember that one time you were Gentiles and you were without Christ, which means you were aliens and you were strangers. You were without hope. You were without God. Paul says that you were far off. He continues and says you were hostile with others who were ethnically different than you. You were separated. There's this sense that Paul is wanting to get at. Remember that without Jesus, you were out there on the margins. You were separated. You were far off. And because of that, you were without Christ and you were without hope. Don't forget that, Gentiles. Don't forget that, you and me. Don't forget that, Grace Long Beach. But then, because Paul is so wonderful, he loves to use this word to great effect, but now. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He goes on to talk about abolishing the law with its commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, making peace. Verse 16, and he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So in the first list, you were without Christ, you were aliens, you were strangers, you were without hope, you were without God, you were far off, you were hostile with others who were ethnically different, you were separated. But now, in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. You are now one group. There's the broken, the wall of hostility has been broken down. You've been reconciled to God and to one another. Now there is peace. And now you who are one have access to the Father through Christ. He, he continues, he says, you are now citizens and you belong to God's household. And he ends with reminding these people that which we are included, that we are a dwelling place for God through his spirit. So the, the apostle Paul here is saying, remember who you were, but now in Christ Jesus, remember who you are. 
And what Paul is wanting to say is at one point you were strangers and aliens and far off, but in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. You had no home. You had no place, but in Christ Jesus, you are citizens. You have full and equal rights and full and equal responsibility. You belong to God's household. Where you were once alone, where you were once rejected, you are now included and you have a family, brothers and sisters in this one new humanity that God is making through Jesus. I mean, that is, that is the good news. That is what God has done in the person of Jesus. And so we, as we think about making room, as we think about making space in our hearts and our minds for the stranger and for the other, it begins by remembering who we were and then taking seriously who we are now in Jesus. I can remember there is this moment, and it was not long ago. I think it was about nine years ago now. I grew up in a, in a time, or for, not in a time, but I grew up in a place, in a, in, a, in a family, in a scenario in which my life felt very unstable. And, and I had homes, and yet I felt like I, I was, in a sense, not home. And I didn't know what that felt like. Nine years ago, uh, Mandy and I were able to, to buy a home. And, and I remember not long after we bought it, not long after we put furniture in it, I remember waking up one morning early. And I remember thinking, oh, this is what home feels like. This sense of, of stability, this sense of, of feeling connected to people and to a space. And Grace Long Beach was a, ma a major part of that, of this sense of belonging. Have you ever felt that moment? Or can you remember a moment when you felt like, oh, that's what home feels like. That's what belonging feels like. And you know, for some of you, you might not feel that way still. For some of you, you might not even feel that way about this church. And I am so sorry about that. But the story that God is telling in Jesus and that he's telling through us, his church, is a story of homecoming. Is a story where people on the margins, the strangers, feel like they belong. And why is that what we are called to do? Because in Jesus, God has made it possible for us to belong. For us to belong to God and for us to belong to one another. Paul, in this letter, and in particular this chapter, is wanting to be so clear about who we were and who we are. And who we were, we were all strangers. But who we are now in Christ Jesus is we are part of God's household. We are one new humanity. 
we are now reconciled. And so what difference does, does this make? It makes a difference in three ways. It both reframes the story and it reminds us of our reconciliation. And then it calls us into risky obedience. So it reframes the story. It reminds us of reconciled relationships. And then we're called into risky obedience. So what difference does this make? It reframes the story. It reminds us of reconciled relationships and it calls us into risky obedience. What do I mean by it reframes the story? Well, in this telling, as Paul is, is describing what has happened and reminding us that we were all strangers, but now are, belong to the household of God, what he, is, what he is reminding us of, or what he is, he's um, telling us, is that, that we are not the center of the story. He's reminding us, Christians, that we are Gentiles, that we have been included that we once were at the margins. See, part of the temptation always is to make one the center, to make myself, you for you, to make yourself, for our church, to make ourselves the center of the story. But when that happens, we actually miss the story. We miss the power of the story. We miss the beauty of the story and we miss our calling within that story. Because if we were at the margins and it's through Jesus that God has brought us near, then we are reminded of our calling to be always looking, always aware, always considering the margins because we remember what it was like to be there. Willie Jennings puts it this way. We have forgotten the beautiful journey of becoming that is Christianity. The journey of the Gentile. We have forgotten what it means to see life from those on the outside who have been included by grace. And consequently, we have lost the sense of inclusion as a life calling and a way of life. We have lost the sense that we are to include others who are at the margin as fundamental to our way of life. And this has affected the way we read the Bible. And because it has affected the way we read the Bible, it has deeply impacted the way we treat others. We imagine ourselves at the center and others at the margin. See, part of the power of the words in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, is that we recognize or realize that we were once far off strangers and aliens, but through Jesus, we have been brought near. And we are now citizens and we are part of God's household. If that does not strike you as the best news in the world, it's because you have forgotten that you were once a stranger at the margins and that by God's incredible grace and mercy, we are now part of the story. You are part of the story. I am part of the story. And we as a church are part of the story. That is a picture of God's grace. And we cannot lose the magnificent reality and beauty of that truth. Because if we lose it, then we will forget our calling as people who are propelled by God's grace and mercy to be 
to be those who welcome and include others and show others where home is in Jesus. So the difference it makes is it reframes the story. The difference it makes is it also reminds us of, of our relationships having been reconciled. See, so much of Paul's language is this has already happened. You know what has already happened? You have been brought near to God in Christ Jesus because of the cross and the wall of hostility between you and others has been broken down. It's not will be broken down. It's not could be broken down. It's it has been broken down. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, verse 13, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. That is what's true. Amen? That is what's true. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. It's already taken place in Jesus. And so he's calling us to remember that that has already happened. Colossians 1, in this remarkable poem about what has taken place in Jesus, the author can't stop saying in him or in Christ. It's all because of Christ. He, in verse 15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross, Thank you, Jesus. This is what God has done. And we, my friends, have the wonderful opportunity to live into it through our restoration, through our welcome, and through our inclusion of the stranger or those around us. We have the wonderful opportunity to embody and bear witness to the truth of this fact that in Christ, God has reconciled all things. That in Jesus, and because of the cross, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. We have an opportunity to live into that reality. Because in Jesus Christ, God has done all of that. So not only does it reframe the story and not only does it remind us of reconciled relationships, but the difference, this remembering who we were and who we are, the difference that makes is it calls us into risky obedience. And part of the first task of that risky obedience is to tell the truth, to look honestly at ourselves, at our relationships, at the church's witness in the world, and ask, do we bear witness to the truth of this reality? 
of what God has done in Jesus? Do my relationships, do your relationships, do our relationship to, relationships together bear witness to the reality that in Christ the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down? Do we reflect this good news? Does the makeup of our church reflect this good news? We need to be truth tellers. And we need to be honest that perhaps it doesn't. And then ask, okay, God, what are you calling us to in Jesus Christ to bear more faithful witness to what you have done? Latasha Morrison in her book, Being the Bridge, says this, Jesus can make beauty from ashes, but the family of God must first see and acknowledge the ashes. Jesus' final prayer was oriented around a vision for unity. And he commissioned his church to be the healing agent that brings the ministry of reconciliation into broken and fractured places in society. And yet an honest assessment raises more questions than answers. Is the church at large and are we as individuals currently making any contribution to healing the divisions? Or are we making things worse? Have we come to grips with our role in creating this divide? Or are we stuck in a state of denial? See, part of the first call of, of risky obedience is to tell the truth. To tell the truth about the ways that perhaps we are not embodying or bearing witness to what God has done in Jesus, in our relationships, in our relationships with one another here, politically, racially, theologically, but then also telling the truth about our relationship as a church, as the church, as the North American church. Are we bearing witness to the reality of what God has done in Jesus, of tearing down that dividing wall of hostility, of bringing those who are far off near and into the household of God, making full citizens of those who were once strangers and aliens? Are we, as God's people, as Christ's followers, are we bearing witness to that reality or are we participating in, in ways and in systems and in things that divide and create division and hold others outside and create rejection or participate even unknowingly in, in some oppression? Like, are we willing to be truth tellers in that? And when we see the truth, are we willing to say no and to repent and to follow the Spirit into greater faithfulness, into embodying what He has for us. And that's the next part of risky obedience, is following the activity of the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is at work, and is moving, and is active, and He is the one who needs to form and shape us into the people that we are called to be, into people whose lives true, 
tell the truth about what God has done in Jesus. You see the end of Ephesians 2 says this in him, verse 21, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually. Other translations are saying built together in the spirit into a dwelling place for God. See, we are being built together by the spirit. We are being activated and animated by the spirit. We are called to follow the spirit to the margins, to the strangers. And that might, those might be people right next to you in your own house or right in your neighborhood or perhaps people in a different place in the city. But we are called to follow the activity of the spirit to those who are strangers, to those who are other. And to remind them and to show them and to, and to reveal to them that there is a place in Jesus, in the household of God, where they might find welcome, where they might find home, where may, they might find belonging. See, that is our task as a church, as followers of Jesus, is to take seriously who we were without Jesus. but then to take seriously and be so in awe of what God has made possible and who we are. And so that remembering who we were and living into who we are, we might be people who remember that we are not at the center of the story, but we have been brought in. That we would be people who live into the true story that reconciliation in Christ has already been made possible. And that we would then be people who take the risk of obedience and tell the truth and follow the Spirit where He leads and to bear witness to the world that God has done something remarkable. He has welcomed all of us. He has given all of us a home. He has made us, in Christ, citizens. Brothers and sisters, one new humanity. Thanks be to God.